Season's greetings, and welcome to Happy Tears. I'm Brandon, and I'm Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love so much so that it often brings them to tears. On today's episode, superheroes. This is our second or third superhero-related show of 2019. Lots of them, though. Lots of them. It's a big year for superheroes. Big decade for superheroes, one yes. might say. That's why today we're covering the hit show on HBO from creator Damon Lindelof called The Watchmen. No, just Watchmen. <laughs> the follow-up to the graphic novel and existing movie, I think it kind of follows the whole thing up. Who knows? But it was really good. We're going to talk about it. Yes, we are. And we're going to do a little bit of a retrospective on the last 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. Easy episode. Yeah. (laughs) Not a lot to cover. And this is Happy Tears. So uh, we don't have a ton of intro stuff. Nope. No recommendations this week. Nope. No news that we really want to talk about. <laughs> Almost fake news, but... We were going to talk about cats and how terrible it is, <laughs> but I don't think we need... We didn't see it. Right. It has been an ongoing joke. <laughs> like, all of these things we have to catch up on and talk about, They were we always slid in a, oh my God, I forgot about cats. <laughs> or something to that effect. Yeah. We, we got to work in some time for cats. <laughs> uh, but I didn't realize how much of a flop it would be in it. Flopped hard, so flopped hard. Rolling Stone called it possibly the worst movie of the decade. <laughs> Peter Travers at the Rolling Stone. Yeah. So yeah, there's your news. Yep. <laughs> well, if, you didn't even say the funny part about it. Which is part? that they're they were still oh, they're gonna go in and change the CGI while it's still in theaters. Yeah. So like, they're, they're, if you go now, you get to see one cut of the movie. But if you go, it's like starting Sunday or something, like next week. You get a whole totally different visual movie because yeah. of the, they're updating the CGI. They're As pulling if a Kanye. it's going to help. Yeah, <laughs> they are pulling a Kanye. <laughs> Surprised but... Kanye's not in this. <laughs> he might be in this. <laughs> That's true. We haven't seen it. <laughs> All right. Oh, righty. Anything else? Um, well... As we've mentioned on the past couple episodes, we are we're doing our rewind of 2019, and we'll be moving into the rewind of the decade mm-hmm. in the coming weeks and months. Uh, next up is going to be our rewind of our favorite television, books, and other media outside of music and movies. Um, and so we want to go ahead and put out the call, light up the bat signal mm-hmm. for the listeners to reach out to us with the fav- your favorite books you read from this year, your favorite TV shows you've watched, your favorite internet meme, if you've played any great video games. Yeah, we'd love to hear why, too. So if there's a, an explanation for those or any personal connections, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so you can hit us up on our social. The most popular one has been our Instagram, at Happy Tears Podcast. You can email us at... HappyTearsPod at gmail.com. Correct. And then we have a voicemail set up on our website on the homepage. You can hit that and leave us a voicemail. We are currently in the process of updating that, but it's still available with the old system. But we're going to get you a new version soon. You don't need to know all this, but I'm telling you. Transparency. Transparency, baby. (laughs) It's been a while since I've dropped a baby. (laughs) Been too long. It's been too long. Um, So, yeah. So, hit us up with your favorite... Non-music, non-film media 
How about a great music video? It's still it's still kind of music, but I don't care. We didn't really cover those. I'm probably going to bring one up that I forgot to talk about during music, so... Perfect. All right. Let's just go into our discussion on Watchmen. Watchmen. Who watches the Watchmen? There's a vast and insidious conspiracy at play. secret plan to save humanity and it starts in Oklahoma she threatens to disrupt the peace are we safe Angela what did you do mankind is ready for change Here is a pretty vague description from IMDb. Set in an alternate history where masked vigilantes are treated as outlaws, Watchmen embraces the nostalgia of the original groundbreaking graphic novel of the same name while attempting to break new ground of its own. Detective Angela Abar investigates the reemergence of a white supremacist terrorist group inspired by the long-deceased moral absolutist Rorschach. So, this show... I don't even know where to start. Uh, Maybe your relationship to Watchmen and then also just the stakes that the show had because it was a a big deal. Excellent. My personal connection, Mm -hmm. I have read the graphic novel of the same name by Alan Moore. The groundbreaking, like it's an all-time great, legendary graphic novel of the medium. I may have read it twice. I'm reading it again, so it's either my second or third time right now. Uh, I was hoping to get through it before we had this discussion, but I'm about halfway. I've also seen the 2009 Zack Snyder film, which I mostly liked. A lot of people hated it. Um, And yeah, I think that this is an interesting series because it is such a revered and what's the word I'm I'm trying to... It's like precious to like comic book people, right? Absolutely. And so it was an interesting lofty goal to to build a series around this especially something that is not just a remake but a continuation of a story that i think a lot of people think is is kind of perfect and or like just sacred sacred thank you and so it's an interesting experiment to try to to build a story like this on top of like sacred ground basically right right the way they chose to do that in my opinion was absolutely genius and and really a a wonderful look at the original work the america of 1985 when this came out and the america of 2019 and how things have changed how a lot of things haven't changed and uh grounding it in social issues was just astounding but before we get into those things tell me about your relation to this stuff yeah i'm i'm kind of in the same boat but i have i've read the the graphic novel but it's been a little while and i also saw the movie before i read it i kind of knew i think i i think i was the same boat yeah and i i knew about it that it was you know elevated and it was definitely one of the the best pieces of or in the comic book genre and all these things so and and what what it was trying to do in its time. And so I I did like the film. I probably liked it more than a lot of others like you were talking about. Same. But I do, I remember specific moments uh, from it. And I, when I saw it in theaters, it was, um, it was really cool. I, that, I remember that opening, the opening sequence very well too. And so I, I have some of that to hold on to. It had been so long since I'd seen the movie that a lot of the characters, 
I had freshened up on a little bit from reading the the book, but it was several years back too. So um, I kind of did a little skim before this and just like, or actually, I think it was after I watched the first episode of the, the TV show just to be like, who should I be preparing to see? And I just didn't want to miss any anything. So I went back and mainly just like, who the characters were and their relation to to some of the other ones so for sure but besides that i there wasn't too much for this to spoil for me like it wouldn't have if this didn't turn out well i wouldn't have been upset uh but i was definitely highly anticipating this mainly because of the damon lindelof um you know part of this but yeah i was definitely pleasantly surprised i expected it to be different and have some surprises in it mainly because of Damon's writing in the past and um I knew it was going to take some risks and that kind of stuff so and it was just going to be maybe the next big HBO show since Game of Thrones right and I had been let down by Game of Thrones so I was hoping for some uh my spirits to be lifted by this show yeah how did that <laughs> my hope and uh, how did that uh hope in HBO <laughs> yeah no I uh yes yeah, so we I guess we can just talk about our general thoughts now I I definitely loved it I think it was amazing. I think the first several episodes, everyone was confused. <laughs> right. Um, or at least there was, you know, parts of it that so many uh, unknowns and it kind of left people in the same boat a little bit of like, even if you knew a lot of the original story, there were so many questions in the first few episodes by, you know, readers and non-readers alike that everyone was kind of in this in the same boat, which I thought was, was pretty neat. Um, obviously you get a lot more out of some of the characters and at least some of like the Easter eggs early on, if you have a significant knowledge of the, the original text, but, and then I think the way he weaves in older characters is, is fantastic. And a lot of the reveals throughout. And like you said, I just think he was kind of an expert at bringing in some of the same energy, uh, of what the first or what the graphic novel was trying to do, but putting it in today's uh, context and um, being real, um, I don't know, just uh, careful about those, the issues and stuff. And I, I never felt like it was super preachy or pulling me away from the, the story or character. So, yeah, I also really loved it. The decision to base this entire story around the, the subject of race in America uh, was very bold. And in, in some ways, educational, right? Like, so from the first episode, they introduced this historical event, this real life historical event of the 1921 Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre, mm -hmm. uh, which was basically a massacre of, was it like over 100 black people? I don't know if they have a particular number. On here, it says Wikipedia has, it has 38. Like confirmed Deaths. Yeah, confirmed deaths from it, um, but over 800 people injured, and it says that 183 serious injuries, and the exact number is unknown. Got it. And so, in the early 20s, Tulsa, Oklahoma was there was uh, was known as like the Black Wall Street. So yeah, the specific like district. Right, and so this massacre happened, and this is something that I had never heard of uh, previous to to this show, and that's something that. Damon Lindelof, I heard in an interview, basically his experience was once he, when, when he heard about this mm -hmm. and how the, you know, American history has largely swept this under the rug, uh, at least within, you know, white circles, mm -hmm. <laughs> any excuse he had to tell people about it, he took, you know, like even at parties or what it like, Hey, have you heard about this? Yeah. And, and no, like most of the people he knew had never heard of it. 
And so he had had this story kind of in his back pocket for a long time, like trying to figure out how to work this real life historical event into a piece of pop culture to bring it to a broader audience. Right. And so when the uh, prospect of Watchmen came up, apparently they, they offered to it to him like three times and he turned it down until he finally realized like the story that he, he wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. The way he connected it to the world's first superhero in this universe, Hooded Justice. Um, and he also spoke in that same interview about being obsessed with Hooded Justice ever since he read Watchmen because it really didn't... He was the only one that they never knew. Nobody in the group of the Minutemen, this, the classic superhero group, knew his name. He was the biggest mystery out of all of that. And uh, Damon Lindelof of... Lost and what are what's his other show that he did? The Leftovers. The Leftovers. He is a if any if you've seen either of those shows, he's a huge fan of mystery, right? Yes. Sewing storylines and stuff. Some some that he, they don't even wrap up. Yeah, it's just a a man of uh, he loves throwing in some large questions. The way that this show chose to take a real life historical event like that and tie it to this superhero canon that already exists, I think is just so smart. And it, it is crazy how in the basically, what, 30 years since Watchmen has come out, how true some of the themes of that graphic novel have translated to this same story about America and about uh, race and, uh, and just where we are as a, as a country. Yeah. I just wanted to add a little bit on the, just so we were careful about, Getting our numbers right and stuff, but the, it says that the the recorded number is thirty six people, but that the there's the race riot commission in two thousand one concluded that between one hundred and three hundred people were killed, and that more than eight thousand people were made homeless over those eighteen hours in nineteen twenty one, which is just crazy to to think about and how uh, huge and devastating this was, and that like you said, that most people don't don't know about it. But yeah, the way he weaved this in, at first, I, it's hard because like you, there's so much setup to this show. It's tough knowing where it, it's going to go because it introduces this thing and doesn't come back to it for, for a while. Right. Um, so, you know, not that I had my doubts, but I was wondering how this was going to actually play into the narrative as a whole. Um, but I, I think it ended up working out just fine. This show is a basically a sequel to the graphic novel, although most of the characters from the graphic novel are not really a part of this. You know, uh, the Night Owl is is nowhere to be found. Rorschach, I guess, spoiler, dies in <laughs> Watchmen. And yeah. so, he, you know, like, we're, we're introduced to these all all new characters, right? Right. And, it, and a different America in 2019. Kind of an alternate version from our the one that we know. So the main character we follow is Angela Abar. She is a police officer and a masked crime fighter in this particular world the masked fighters basically operate as as an extension of the police force right and all of the officers now at least in tulsa oklahoma wear masks they basically wear like ski masks right it definitely feels uh i mean there's clearly things that we're able to recognize uh that are in line with our own world but then obviously some differences like there's a uh a rainfall of squid early on that is quite different from the the rainfall that we're used to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Things like that. Right. And then obviously the the 
the officers wearing masks. And you're trying to understand the dynamic there early on as well between the civilians and the police officers and then vigilantes as well. So um, so what did you think of of these the characters that were introduced to in this particular narrative? We've got Angela Abar, uh, Sister Knight, I think, is mm-hmm. her alter ego. Yep. There's Looking Glass is another uh, masked person. There's the Russian guy. Lori... Lori Blake, Agent Lori Blake of the FBI, who was the Silk Spectre uh, in the Watchmen. Like in the in the 80s, she was a mass crime fighter. Now she works for the FBI hunting down vigilantes, uh, which is an interesting turn for that character. And one that I think was cool. I thought that she was great throughout this entire show. Yeah. I mean, you asked me if I liked the characters and I think I, yeah, I think that I love the characters that were created and some extensions of the previous characters that I thought made sense. I think that Looking Glass in particular was just fantastic. Played by Tim Blake Nelson. Who, yeah, who was, who's great. And from Tulsa. And Really? Yeah. Yeah. My buddy Luke told me that. That's awesome. That he went to the same high school as Tim Blake Nelson did. Uh, so he's kind of like a hometown hero there, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, I thought he was really great the character arc was great and made sense and made more sense as the the story line went on but i think he was a great addition and kind of a mirror to rorschach's uh, original character right less of a moral absolutist and like a strident he had similar quirks right yeah he was definitely kind of a loner and was somewhat eccentric Right, um, but but definitely an interesting character and and a character that had some depth and some some wrinkles to him for sure. You got Louis Gossett Jr. in here. You've got Jeremy Irons, Regina King. The cast they assembled for this was actually really great. Yeah, even some of the the new faces, like the two people that are on the planet with uh, Adrian Veidt, mm-hmm. Crookshanks, and uh, yeah, Mrs. Crookshanks, and oh, Mr. Phillips. Yes, I mean, really all around. This show was was really impressive, both from a writing perspective. The acting was great. I think the production design and all the sets and some of the futuristic stuff they did was very cool. And then, of course, how they tied it all back into the original series, especially in the later episodes of the season, uh, were really impressive. One thing you and I have talked about that was the the most exciting thing about this series was there were a handful of episodes that basically just followed a single character through either their personal history or where they are today. There were a couple different scenarios, but basically just following one character's perspective, right? Yeah, and those all came in the latter half of the the season. So yeah, those first several episodes were a lot of build-up and not a lot of answers. Sure. I think that's one one thing that's tough about uh, the weekly release thing is you're you're going in over a month with being confused (laughs) (laughs) right? instead of watching this all at one time, you know, which adds, you know, a a little bit of fun if you're doing some research. Um, But also maybe, yeah, I I didn't know how much more I could take before I started getting answers. I think that was my only, it was like I had reached maybe my frustration point and then finally some things were starting to get revealed throughout these in these episodes that focus more on the individual characters and i thought those episodes were all incredible yeah like some yeah some of the best tv the whole year and i agree i'm a person who likes that kind of thing anyways like if the, if there's not enough grounding and enough character development and enough like why we should be rooting for or or just have the ability to understand the characters or their intentions and stuff like that for me a lot of the 
the big plot stuff doesn't Land. matter and I just yeah I just don't care as much yeah so I I do really appreciate um, us getting a lot of those and there's <laughs> a lot of wow moments along the way specifically with uh, with Jeremy Irons character as everyone kind of started uh, you were wondering how all these characters were gonna end up in the same storyline or end up coming together at some point the way I think it built to that was pretty cool too yeah I mean that's that's one of my favorite things about kind of the medium of television is ensemble shows that have a number of storylines going on the way TV over a longer period of time has the ability to weave these storylines together to a satisfying conclusion right is what you know movies can do it too but you're just more limited right you've got two to three hours or whatever and uh this show in particular really was quite the web tangled web of storylines that came together in a in a pretty satisfying way yeah and i ended up just caring a lot about all of the characters you know like when i think that looking glass episode was amazing and just from the beginning you really get a sense of why he is the the way he is and um yeah, we'll we'll keep it there and then go into spoilers. For yeah, the um before we do spoiler talk, one of the f- few criticisms I have the main character of Angela Abar played by Regina King. Yeah. I sh- I struggled with her character for a while. Mm-hmm. I think I still do uh, to an extent. A lot of it feels like to me she didn't have much of a character. Like I don't know if I could think of a defining characteristic about her. One of the, like, I don't want to say rules of screenwriting, but Mm -hmm. one thing that they talk about is having characters driving story rather than plot just happening to a character. Right, right. And that's what a lot of this felt like, was she was just this person in the in the eye of this hurricane yes and things kept happening to her and i just felt like six or seven episodes in a row maybe that's too many but like it was just her meeting a new person and saying tell me give me answers <laughs> tell me this thing and yeah. then they wouldn't yeah, yeah so she goes to the next person and it just became this kind of repetitive like her just kind of blindly threatening people and like yeah because she's menacing she's and she's like this masked vigilante well, i guess she works for the government so she's a masked crime fighter and she is a force to be reckoned with mm-hmm. i mean there i mean there are cool things about the character yeah but in terms of the way that she interacted with the rest of the characters in the story there wasn't a lot to it not not nothing to really sink your teeth into i think is my yeah i think i would thought. agree with you i think she did a good job of playing the pieces that we knew of the character uh, and i think it makes a little more sense Maybe in the final episode, but I definitely agree her arc on the way there uh, just wasn't as strong as the others. Right. I am in the same boat for sure. It's tough because I love Regina King so much. It's kind of like she's just likable just because she's great and that kind of stuff. But I do agree that on paper, there was definitely less to sink your teeth into. And we can talk once we get past the spoiler point about how the ending maybe affects our view on that character and stuff for sure. Yeah. I don't know how much else... I really have to say that's not spoiler related other than I think I just want to reiterate how impressive it was that they were able to tell this story about race in America, connect it to the night, the fictional 1985 timeline of, of this universe yeah, and this fictional 2019 timeline of the universe based on a historical event that happened both in our real life and in this fictional alternate universe right right and and it's a really i think kind of scathing reflection 
of how we look at race in America and how things get swept under the rug and how maybe some of us who consider ourselves allies either do more to hurt or do very little at all to help those that are under the heel of oppression yeah or racism or well history (laughs) yeah or i mean really yeah yeah, well yeah it felt like a very educational and entertain like educational makes it sound boring but Mm -hmm. it was an exciting i mean it's a the first seven episodes it's all a murder mystery right trying to figure out who kills a key character that dies in the first episode and then after that because they've weaved all these stories together, it broadens, right? The whole story just kind of expands into this much wider thing with much larger consequences if if the good guys win and the bad or the bad guys win or, or whatever. Right? right. But in a time where white supremacy seems to be rearing its ugly head more than it has in a number of decades, I'm talking about in our real life, mm-hmm. and this show telling a story that's along those lines. I think it's a show that is, I don't know if necessary is the right word, but I'm really glad that we have this to look at and kind of hold a mirror up to ourselves in 2019 and the society that we want to build as Americans and humans and people and earthlings. Earthlings. Yeah. Thoughts? Thoughts. <laughs> on that uh, On that fire hose of words I just sprayed you with? I think I agree. I'm trying to think of the weight of the, I think a little bit of that, weight is there and it's significant in the the storyline but these which is important and i think that it's also important that it just doesn't completely take over the character's importance and it is about that but i didn't come away from it only thinking about that there's plenty of other big questions that are brought up and then there's also deep dive into more personal things between the characters and things like that oh yeah i mean there's there's also much more personal themes along the lines of family and right. and individual citizens like kind of duty like in terms of the stuff with hooded justice right and and things like this. so yeah i i was really blown away by the broader themes but definitely there's a lot to take away on much more of the personal character stories and and arcs right with it as well for sure and the way yeah i guess just the way that they're they're balanced is where um i think it makes it the most most effective so agreed um, cool. Let's get into more spoiler-related stuff. We're gonna get into maybe some specific episodes towards the end, and then talk the finale and stuff. I think like so. That. Yeah. So cool. this is the spoiler warning. If you have not finished HBO's Watchmen and don't want it spoiled, turn back now or skip ahead. So, uh, man, where do we start? What was your favorite spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> I think the Doctor Manhattan thing was was pretty. Man, that was crazy pretty amazing like i didn't see it coming so that was great it's also tough because like and damon talks about this in one in one of the podcast episodes that he did uh so because there's three podcasts released by hbo right he's discussing three episodes at a time uh with damon one thing he says is it's tough to for there to be any surprises because the internet is ri- <laughs> is available and there's going to be someone on reddit who has it right right um yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that yeah that's kind of funny because like there are so many theories that come out and um i was able to stay away from from that one so that was really really cool yeah i think really just those reveals at the end like that and um the the lady true uh, daughter you know reveal i i kind yeah. of 
had a feel. I had been talking yeah. with, with friends and stuff about that, but um, those all made they all made sense to me, and I think that's one of the successful parts of the show. Because if those plot points didn't, I think it could have uh, put a dent in the show for sure. Yeah. So well, for me, I mean the the most exciting I think episode. There are two episodes specifically that were the most exciting for me, I think, and that's Dr. Manhattan's episode. Mm-hmm. But the biggest reveal that was kind of early or mm-hmm. in the middle of the show is the fact that Hooded Justice, the first superhero, was actually black. Yeah. And his his whole motivation to start fighting crime was kind of a impassioned thing against racism. You're right. And, and I think that story point is so genius- for so many reasons. A, because it answers this huge history about this mystery character from this from the original Watchmen graphic novel, who was just kind of a background character, right? Like he was only in like the flashbacks back to like the forties and A, they they just told the story so beautifully. That episode is just real I like I th- it should win Emmys. Yeah. I think it's just so well written and great. And one of those things is the the plot point of having the nostalgia pills, which is I think a really cool I don't necessarily if you call it a device but to be able to go back and view someone else's memories and that whole um piece of the narrative i think is uh kind of brilliant and the way it's executed throughout the episode jumping in and out of uh time periods and stuff i think is amazing fun fact i'm you know i'm in the middle of re-reading watchmen right now and in one frame there is a billboard for nostalgia from the Vite Company yeah. in 1985, but I think it's just a perfume at that point. Yeah. So that was something that they pulled out of the pages of Watchmen. Right. I and, didn't even realize that. And, and one of the, I think, another brilliant part is just little things like that that they do end up pulling and kind of executing in a, a big, bigger narrative way from the original. They do a lot of smart things with that. Right. And that's just one example. But yeah, that, that episode was the first episode, I feel like, of this season that, I was kind of blown. Like the Looking Glass episode, I think is the one before that. That's the one I connected with most up to that point. And then the Hooded Justice episode was the one that kind of just blew me away. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was a pretty broad reception. You know, the the general reception uh, was was that that episode was amazing right. know, across the audience. Right, right. But yeah, the, the idea that the first superhero was secretly black, put like basically white makeup around his eyes. So the eye holes of his mask made him look, you know, made his face underneath look white. It's so fascinating to me and speaks to kind of this, you know, like, and I think Damon Lindelof talked about this in in the interview that I I listened to. He was on uh, Kevin Smith's Fat Man Beyond podcast. (laughs) Like the idea that white culture pretty much steals all of the main, all of our popular culture from black culture, right? The dance moves, the, uh, the music. You know, it things become cool in black culture and then they become popular when white culture kind of accepts that kind of stuff. Think yeah. of the songs on the radio, things like that. And so the fact that the first superhero was a black man and then it was a thing that white culture jumped like these these other white superheroes kind of jumped in on it and they were the ones that were able to show their face because they wouldn't be murdered in the streets right you know or, or at least somewhat show their face they're 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 mad like they didn't have to hide all of their skin right right and so uh yeah it was just such a smart story element mm-hmm. to introduce to this thing and then how they connected it to the the story they're telling in 2019 where this old man in a wheelchair is actually that that young you know superhero who who fought with 
the classic superheroes that we met a couple of them in the graphic novel and and uh and how he's angela abar's unknown grandfather right yeah. you know that she didn't know existed it's crazy yeah i agree and then, yeah, like you, you already mentioned the the Doctor Manhattan episode where we follow kind of where he's been for the last sort of twenty years. I mean, it really just follows the last like ten years, but you get a little bit of the of the history from after we left the pages of the Watchmen graphic novel. It was really exciting and uh, so smart and crazy. And I was, I really was wondering the whole time because I saw I the the guy that plays Cal mm-hmm. and and by extension Doctor in Manhattan, right is uh his name Yaya. is Yaya Abdul Mateen II. Mm-hmm. He's a very good actor. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was he had a huge part in the in the Aquaman movie. He was also in something else big recently. Click. Oh, he was in The Get Down. Did you watch that show on Netflix? <laughs> yeah. I liked that show yeah. a lot. I was bummed when it got canceled. Oh, he was Cadillac. He was like the evil gangster disco dancer. <laughs> What a title. I forgot about that. Anyway, I was wondering why this this really good actor was kind of playing this for sure boring part, right? Yeah, like yeah. he was just kind of the side husband. Yep. Until this huge reveal that yeah, that's actually Dr. Manhattan. And and the idea that Dr. Manhattan was not on Mars. Was no longer on Mars, right? Mm-hmm. He he'd like run a simulation there. Mm-hmm. So the people observing think he's there, but he's not. But now, Dr. Manhattan is a black man, mm-hmm. which is, I, I don't even really know what to think of it, but I think that there is some, some significance to the story they're telling there. Because even when he's back to being blue, he still has the facial structure, you know, like he, he is being played by this black actor right. rather than, I mean, they make it clear that they're still connecting it to the previous timeline. So he was a white I think possibly Jewish guy, you know, in the 30s or 40s. Now that character is assuming a totally different form. Um, I, I, I'm i still c- trying to wrap my head around it, but I think that there is some commentary there about maybe appropriation or, may, you know, or, or maybe something more to the fact that, because it felt very Adam and Eve, and there is a lot of biblical stuff going on in this story. Right. Also, a lot of references that I'm still trying to, to wrap my brain around. Yeah, there's a lot. And there's a lot within those last couple episodes where we were just talking about things being revealed, but then like the original setup of the the moon that Dr. Manhattan creates. It's like paradise. Right. And then, yeah. And then you also, yeah, you have the Adam and Eve references and then that being uh, the place that that was from his youth. So it's cool to see like child John. Right. Oh, Uh, I've totally forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah, And then that connecting the Crookshanks uh, Mr. Phillips stuff was just, I think all, all came together pretty wonderfully. And it was like all exciting. All those episodes, they were, um, very exciting buildup, but also didn't leave any of the character development behind, which, which was awesome. But I agree that that one thing in particular of Cal playing this kind of side role the whole time was super interesting. And I mean, it, it made sense, but it was cool hearing them talk about it. Like he didn't know he was Dr. Manhattan for, you know, right. while they were filming it for, uh, the first several episodes. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. And he had to reveal it to him because he didn't want him to, to play, play it, it like any sort. Yeah. Oh, that's he didn't great. want him to play the character like he was, he was Dr. Manhattan. So it was, it was very cool seeing and like, or hearing about that too. Right. And looking back throughout the series at how many times Lori Blake commented on how hot uh, her <laughs> husband was, yeah. Angela's husband was, and you realize, oh, that's her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> right. You know, like different body, different face. Yeah. But, 
She but, caught a vibe. <laughs> yeah, whenever that comes up, you you start to understand a lot more of those um, connections between characters, specifically with Lori Blake's. I thought that those were my my favorite episodes as well. That Doctor Manhattan one, well, really all all four of those in a row were were excellent. And then we can talk a little bit about the finale here. Yeah. For me, I thought it was a, a good ending to the story. We don't know if there will be any other seasons of this. We can assume that Damon he hasn't expressed interest in more, so seems like he is fine with this being the way it is, or it was planned that way. The way that I heard it on on the interview that he had that was not on an HBO-related podcast, he made it sound like he wasn't that interested in telling another Watchmen story, but HBO might be. Right, yeah, of course. So, so like, it seems like he, he told a story he wanted to, and there wasn't any more left of the story he wanted to tell or was inspired to tell or that kind of thing. So I really wouldn't want it to be in someone else's hands at this point, I don't think. Right. Um, and I'm fine with what the story that was... They was told for sure, but but I think the finale just has a hard, you know, job to do because it it's wrapping up all of these storylines at once, but you still want some some character moments, and I think that the plot made sense, but I was less invested in it because of some of the the character development or moments weren't there, and specifically like I wish <clears throat> there was more Looking Glass. Like I love oh, that character for sure. I mean, I I definitely was getting some weird feelings of game of thrones final season going into the last episode because it's just yeah. like how do you, you just can't wrap all this up in in this the amount of time you've allotted yourself right. um i think they did a much better job than the entire last season of game of thrones right but uh yeah i was nervous going into the last episode and i think they did fine but i do agree i wish we had gotten more looking a, a more more wrap up for Looking Glass. Even this is small, but like whatever happened to Agent Blake's little sidekick who who had all the info on on all the superheroes and stuff. Remember that guy? Right. Yeah. So that that I thought he was a fun character. Exactly. That was a whole a whole thing. Were they? Did you read any of the PDPedia stuff? I didn't. I didn't read any of the. It was like additional materials that HBO was releasing. Right. Yeah. Which was kind of a fun thing to do because they have that sort of uh, same thing in the graphic novel. Yeah. That was fun, but. But yeah, you don't get more of his character, but it points to him being Lube Man, which was a hilarious part of the of the show. Really? I don't wait. What? Explain yeah, the, to me. The, so the PDPedia, the last one that was released, or the two articles or whatever, point to him that PD, uh, like her assistant character, yeah. was Lube Man. Which one was Lube Man? The guy, the guy that runs, and uh, he's in like that. What's the right iridescent? Is that the right word? Like, oh uh, my thing, god, yeah, and then uh, slides into the, the gutter in a hilarious fashion. Yes, that's <laughs> uh, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that was, I think that was one of the big jokes was like, is is there going to be like a, a Lube Man reveal? And like, who is this character? Like, this was one of the big, right. the big funny questions because he comes out of nowhere in that episode and then and then vanishes. So, that's funny. Um, but yeah, so so that was that was really fun. Other than that. Yeah, it wrapped up things. Maybe part of me wants there to be something like maybe super unexpected in the in the finale. I think things wrap up well though, like all Yeah. Um most of those storylines. It was are it was kind of typical superhero story fashion. They they came up with a last minute plan to defeat the bad guy who turned out to be Lady True. You know, this right. this person that pose themselves as right. somewhat of an ally. Or, I do or think a that's a cool. Re- yeah, that's another cool reveal of having her be being more you know powerful than the Seventh Cavalry and her being the 
the bigger th- like threat. overall threat at the yeah. end, but her also eliminating this other threat that of co- like of course everyone uh, was rooting against, and <laughs> and so there was some cool th- it's a cool dynamic there I think, but. What did you but maybe, yeah, maybe the only way is to extend that into two episodes and find more time with some of these characters. But yeah, uh, I don't really have any other huge complaints about the the finale, and thought it was a good ending. What did you think about the like the very end final scene, last shot, cutaway, yeah, thing? Um, I mean, I'm happy with it. I'm glad it ended that way. And if that's the ending to the series, I'm happy with it too. Do you have a read on on what it meant or what if 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 it there's hap- two sides of the I coin know, right. which one it falls on? <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, it's tough because part of me thinks that it doesn't really matter, and then yeah, go ahead. Well, if, if, for the purpose of the story and the point that like the 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 moral of the story and mm-hmm. the message that they're trying to get across, it totally doesn't matter to me. I yeah. think the scene right before that where. Angela and Will are in the kitchen talking. She's like cleaning up the eggs. Mm-hmm. And Will says, for being a good... I can't remember the line, but it's like, for, for all that he did, he could have done more. Right. That's, I mean, that's the that's Watchmen. Like, that's the point of this whole nine episodes. Yeah. Is like, of all of the stuff that, that this all-powerful being, this God, could have done to correct the world, the amount he did was... I mean, he did some good things, but he could have done much more. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's that was my big takeaway was was that's true about a lot of us. Yeah. So this this scene where she's basically checking to see if she can walk on water if she has absorbed these powers. Right. In terms of the moral of the story, I don't think it matters. Mm-hmm. But I'll let you continue from there. Um, I don't know. It's like it's hard because you just play out the rest uh, of the next like ten minutes in your mind. Like maybe she has the powers or maybe she doesn't, but ends up getting them uh i guess another question is whether it is in her character to actually want them uh is that consistent with her her character to me it feels like it is mainly just because of the situation that happened to her i don't think if before he died that would ever be something she would want to take on but i think the moment of her loved one uh the man that she was in love with dying and for her to get any sort of piece of that back that she would do what it takes sort of thing i mean part of me thinks yeah she does have some sort of she gains some sort of dr manhattan powers from from that because the eggs were so significant throughout the the storyline yeah. but again i don't know if it matters really but yeah i mean I, i'm kind of torn too part of me wants to believe that dr manhattan knows how terrible his powers are you know terribly powerful he is and that Passing that along is irresponsible, huge, <laughs> to yeah. say the least. You right. know, ri- a risk. Right. But part of me also thinks, well, he knows Angela better than anyone, and knows that maybe, maybe what she could do. Right. Maybe he realizes that he could have done more with mm-hmm. his time, and and he has chosen to pass his abilities on to to someone that maybe will, by by his estimation of how much he knows her, she will do more. You know. Yeah. So there, I'm I'm split on that fine line and i'm not gonna go either way <laughs> i i did really think that the that will yeah just that scene was was pretty touching between will and angela in the theater and then that was another big theme of the show about the 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 wearing the mask what, what was the line to hide from because of pain and i forget what he says first but by it's, it's practically that people don't wear masks for this reason they 
wear a mask because they're, you know, in pain. And, and then he tells her that you can't heal under a mask, that wounds need air. Yeah. And then I feel like from that point, you get a, a better, maybe just a little bit better understanding of her character. Um, like looking back, like that's what I was specifically talking about earlier. Right. Um, I don't know if it excuses maybe some of the underdevelopment. But. No, and that's a good point. And and one thing I I do want to do eventually is watch this show again, right? Knowing the fact that she's hiding who her the identity of her husband, and yeah. she's the only one who is because he doesn't even know. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like some of what I read as under development could be read a totally different way, knowing the ending of the story. Right, and uh, and also just particular scene that's great i think is when they're the bar scene between dr manhattan and angela the title of that episode a god walks into a bar right great title <laughs> and the, it was hiding the the title was hiding in plain sight sort of thing the god walks into a bar um which, whoa which, yeah that's which just, is, i didn't even realize <laughs> really? just blew my mind dude <laughs> Yeah, they show it in the Man. title, the title sequence, like in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, the bar is it's it's one it's, word. Yeah, ugh, genius. <laughs> this show. And, uh, yeah, it was just uh, just a little funny funny thing there. But you want to go to happy tears moments? Let's go to happy tears moments. I have nothing else. Cool. Yeah, my first, I think, happy tears moment, or at least on the verge of it, was at the end of episode seven. We find out that Cal is Doctor Manhattan, and you're already kind of just in shock from that scene and then as the credits roll it's life on mars uh by david bowie Ugh. but it's the trent reznor atticus ross you know version of of that song right and you kind of don't know it until a couple seconds in and it's a really beautiful version but there's so much just in that song you're already kind of blown away by what the end of the episode gave you and then to bring in a super <laughs> A song titled Life on Mars. It's related to Dr. Manhattan, but also Trent Reznor was was good friends with David Bowie, and it's kind of a tribute to him as well. And all of that, you know, emotion packed into just you staring at the screen and hearing that, I thought was a really brilliant. That's huge. Yeah. That's a really... So great. Brilliant thing. So, and I just kind of sat there and stared and listened to the to the whole thing but going on off of that i we haven't really discussed the the soundtrack but i thought uh the soundtrack was was really effective and and um those themes really i think um the, yeah sonically just pulled you in and they became those musical beats or whatever became a part of the universe i think really well yeah. and i think Trent Reznor is really good at doing that um with some of his other work for sure. That was a moment. And then directly in the next episode, the next, the happy tears moment was just the interaction with Cal and um, Angela right before they, they go out and he gets taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just what he knew. Yeah, just the dynamic there, the reason he did it, he knew what was going to happen. And still, it seemed like in that moment, you understood more of his intentions and how that it was worth it for him because of their relationship. Like he was able to feel love in that way. And I was like, right. I think really, really special. And, um, yeah, that was a beautiful moment. I am going to circle back to the life on Mars thing. Cause yeah. I think that that is one of the best songs ever written. Yeah. And it is so perfect for this, not only because the title is life on Mars and that's where people understood Dr. Manhattan to be, but that song is all about the craziness of human existence and whether there's life outside of human existence and if not what are we doing here and if so what are we doing here it's just this crazy you know it's this crazy 
melodramatic whale you know it's it's just such a perfect song in which bowie really the chorus is just screaming is there life on Mars? <laughs> like it's 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 in my eyes it's just a whale of like what are we doing <laughs> what is going on it's just this giant existential crisis of a song and it's also beautiful and like melodically beautiful and and just great and so and it's so perfect for the series for that episode that i i really think it's one of, it's one of the greatest like especially pop rock song you know rock songs ever written for sure yeah um man but that episode with the kind of non-linear storytelling in that that dr manhattan episode uh was just brilliant and another one of the best episodes for sure of the year so good um and so exciting right like because it's it's one of the few characters that you know from the original source material, mm-hmm. and it's the one guy that ever has been mentioned probably in every episode leading up to it because he's he's Superman, right? He is the he is the epitome. He is literally a god. He is the epitome of the all powerful being in in this universe, and uh, so it's this very exciting return of a character that we already know and. It also reveals a ton of details about the story that we're currently experiencing. And so they satisfy a number of kind of checkboxes, right? The nostalgia checkbox, the filling in gaps of the story checkbox, the way to move the story forward checkbox. It's just, it's just so great. And it's, it's starting to, that episode particularly starts to interweave some of these disparate storylines, right? Yeah. The, and uh, yeah, super great. What other happy tears moments you got? I think that was it. I think it's the this is the moment. I think is a, that's what what the episode does to pull you into the significance of those two characters. I think, and then and then what is said before they essentially walk out, and um, he knows that he's going to get taken, and and um, yeah, it's just really I don't know. It was really moving for sure. And the actor playing Doctor Manhattan in that, I mean, he's just pitch perfect. Yeah. This this kind of like soft, like almost disconnectedness For of sure. his voice, but it's also soft and and there's something very sweet about it at the same time. The the performance is just stellar. I yeah. agree. And for sure. I can't remember if this was a particular happy tears moment, but it was something I really liked. It was episode three of the series, which was the moment that I kind of went all in and was like, All right, I know I'm gonna like this. Mm-hmm. Uh that was the episode that basically followed Lori Blake for most of it. I think there might have been a couple other scenes with other characters. It wasn't quite as intense as some of the other single character arc episodes. But at the end, uh, you know, we've kind of caught up with this character who's from the original graphic novel um, and seen how her life has changed in the, you know, 30 to 40 years since. And uh, at the end, she goes into one of those boxes where you can send a message to Dr. Manhattan on Mars and you get this very vulnerable moment of her kind of expressing her feel because she's she's kind of she's funny and sarcastic and and witty and deflective throughout the most of the series. Uh, but this was the moment where you kind of get an insight into her emotional state and that she's still leaving messages for John, you know, her boyfriend from yeah. years and years and years ago was was pretty touching for sure. And then I think the whole hooded justice episode was pretty devastating the the outright acts of the hate crimes that you see you know 
black people being dragged by a cop car. Yeah. You know, things like that. The moment where Hooded Justice realize, you know, tries to get his white superhero counterparts to join his crusade against, I, I think they're called Cyclops. They're, they're essentially like akin to the KKK. Right. And the, the white superheroes basically just say, no, we can't. Like, this is your fight. Mm-hmm. We can't do this. And, and the realization that this character that is kind of probably the realization of a lot of people in the black community that there are people that will pose themselves as, al- as allies but not be willing to fight the same battles as you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a big realization for me as probably someone who <laughs> has been guilty of that. You yeah. Know? So it's... Uh, it it was a very heavy episode and and they dropped a lot of emotional bombshells throughout yeah and that was another one they pulled in that um uh what's the character's name that he does call the captain metropolis metropolis there it is yeah, yeah. um yeah but building off a universe but adding really i don't know just adding new new things that work but are bold and uh yeah just it's kind of amazing how he pulled it off, I think. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing about I can say about this show is that it really swings for the fences in terms of the loftiness of the stories and the themes that they're trying to engage with, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, while also telling a pretty compelling personal story about these individual characters, I think it's really great. I highly recommend it. I think it's one of the best TV shows of the year for sure. I do wish... In the end, they had wrapped up some of the some of the characters' individual storylines a little more. They kind yeah. of really focused on the Doctor Manhattan Angela Abar thing, which by the end was compelling and and great, and it's the most important piece of this whole thing anyway. But would have liked a little more wrap up on some of the other stuff, and maybe right. you know maybe they do a second season and and they delve into some of that stuff. So we will see. We shall. HBO's Watchmen is streaming on on HBO Go, HBO Now, all the all the HBO streaming options. I imagine it'll probably get some Emmy nominations once those are announced, and I highly recommend it. How about you? I'm there with you, bud. Excellent. So the following subject matter that we're about to discuss has earned over $22.5 billion across a total of 23 films since 2008. It is the highest grossing film franchise of all time. And in 2019, one of the final movies of this phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avengers Endgame, became the number one grossing movie of all time, earning to date... Over $2.7 billion. Wow. So we're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A little bit of a retrospective Mm -hmm. since we are kind of wrapping up this decade that has largely been... I mean, superheroes are just such a huge part of the last 10 years of movies. Mm -hmm. I know for me personally, I was 18 years old when Iron Man came out. And so my entire adult life literally has been... The Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And so, you know, I always loved superheroes as a kid. I wasn't quite a comic book person until my 20s. And so I've read some Marvel stuff. But the way I had connected most with, with superheroes growing up was through video games and, and like, TV shows and stuff. Of yeah. course, I liked the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movies that came out before this generation of, of films. Right? right. But because of 
the era I grew up in and being an 18-year-old going to see Iron Man, you know, three times in the theater. Yeah. These movies are definitely, I feel like, part of my DNA in, in a way that Star Wars does and did growing up. So I have a ton of love for, for this franchise. I know a lot of people have a lot of fatigue maybe around superhero movies or just weren't into it and whatever, but I'm all about it, and that's a little bit about me. I love it. How about you? Yeah, no, I have kind of an interesting relationship with it because I watched most of the first half of these kind of as they were coming out and in theaters and was kind of excited to see them and then fell off a bit and recently caught back up with them. So I remember seeing, you know, like uh, Avengers for the first time, feeling that sort of excitement of getting the crew together and like the the original Iron Man. And then I think I just did lose some interest just because it felt like maybe we were getting the same kind of a lot of the the same thing or like the the excitement was dying off a little bit for me just because of the oversaturation I guess and so I still sort of have that relationship to it I like several of these quite a bit but I had no real connection like I wasn't a reader uh, of the comic book series of most of these characters and I did have some I mean, specifically to the movies that came out before these, like the Spider-Man movies and stuff. So there is the relationship to that character. And then I played like Marvel Ultimate Alliance. That game is awesome. <laughs> Both is. of them. There's yeah. two. Well, there's a third one now on the Switch. Yeah. But those games taught me so much about the Marvel comic book yeah. universe. And I, I mean, and they were like co-op games, which I love. And I think it's so much fun being able to do story mode with the with a companion. So it was like, those were mainly the things that I had latched onto yeah so that's kind of my backstory with it and then yeah just recently catching up on um several of the these films and there's a caveat that most of the films that came out in the past several years i did not see in the theater Mm. which i'm sure i might have a different relationship with them if i did i saw avengers endgame three times i saw oh here's this is fun i saw iron man Three times in the theater. Yeah. And I saw Endgame, which is basically the end of Tony Stark's story, Mm -hmm. also three times in the theater. Everything else pretty much I saw once, maybe twice. Wow. Well, so maybe maybe the listener question this this week could be, what movie have you seen most in the theater? That's a great question. Should I give you my answer now? I would love it. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse I saw four times. Yes. And, uh... I've seen se- I saw The Dark Knight three times. I've seen several movies three times, mm-hmm. but uh, Into the Spider Verse it's in my it's in my top three favorite movies of all time at this point. I love it. I put it on. All- it's on Netflix. I put it on all the time. Yeah, I'll just watch it while I'm cleaning the house or you know doing whatever. Yeah. So mine was The Dark Knight as well, and I was um, three and a half times. <laughs> they explain the, the half because <laughs> the power went out in the middle of one, <laughs> and we had to all go out and hop into another theater <laughs> that's crazy yeah um <laughs> and they started luckily it, it wasn't my first time it was one that had already been going, going. so yeah so it was like <laughs> oh god it was um not the very beginning but it was probably <laughs> i probably rewatched 30 minutes of yeah, it or something that, that's a we'll count that as a half for <laughs> yeah, sure yeah. so that's fun um, that's a good listener question yeah well so tell me how how it's been for because i know you've made a particular effort to catch up in the last couple of weeks right you know, i've been i've been pretty much caught up the only movies i didn't see in the theater i think was ant-man and the wasp yeah. the second ant-man movie so yeah i think there's several of mine that might be some interesting picks not being completely all in the universe i feel that 
a lot of my favorites are maybe a little more grounded films or at least particular character stories. Not, I think the ensemble stuff is usually pretty fun, but it's not what I connect to as much. So a lot of the excitement that people get just from um, either these big action sequences or um, seeing their favorite characters on screen at the same time, I don't necessarily have that same sort of reaction to. I think it's cool, but the stuff I like most are, they're kind of more particular things, I think. Um, which we'll talk about, but so do you have favorite characters? Like, do you have people that you that you look at and like, oh, that's my guy? Or? Um, I mean, I still I love Iron Man, yeah. and I still love. I mean, like in his character arc, and I like I do like Spider Man still as well. So those, and then their relationship is, I think, really great. So great. Um, so I think those. Thinking of specifics, um, there are some really funny characters that are more side characters throughout that I really love. And then there's one that I love the ensemble of best, one film, but um, we'll wait. We'll, we'll wait. Gotcha. Wait on that one. Cool. Do you just want to go into. Sure. So, so I've gone ahead and put together my top five Marvel moments. I know you have some several moments that mm-hmm. maybe aren't spe- specifically ranked. Yeah. And do you have a top five Marvel movies? I could. I could put one together do yeah. you have do you have a top I five do, yeah. okay well let's do that <laughs> as always top five for me is very tough um <laughs> yes. a lot of, i think one and two were specifically kind of locked in and and the others were harder to to choose and i'll have some honor honorable mentions here honorable mentions being winter soldier uh infinity war and dr strange and then the big honorable mention that probably would have squeezed in my top five um i do really like ant-man it's just so so different and i feel like i know people complain that the the stakes are kind of lower in that film but one of my biggest issues i think is just the stakes in every film like it just seems like constant the world's gonna end if we don't blank yes got it and so that to me is exhausting yeah so when it's a little lighter and a little uh more fun or at least balances those well i don't know when the films take themselves too seriously I have a hard time, I think, um, balancing that with what I'm seeing sure. uh, on the screen. But but so that for me, I think was super fun, but also just a just a good movie. If it wasn't a superhero movie, I still would have um, you know liked the the plot of the movie and the characters. And I really really enjoy the the technology and some of those fight scenes. So into my number five, which was tough to pick between these, but this is definitely so much more significant that I've got to put it in my top five. I don't know if it would be just based on um, my enjoyment or whatever alone, but I think I have Endgame at number five and mainly because of what it pulls off and the significance of, you know, wrapping up all of these movies together is kind of an incredible feat. And I guess I'm still trying to figure out if I have a problem with the going back in time element of it. Right. And Sometimes it plays more of like a greatest hits kind of thing more than like a standalone film in my mind, but but it is uh, a lot of fun. And then I think the emotional beats hit hit well as well, and it, it definitely has the the payoffs that people were were looking for. Do you want to jump in and add to this, or should I just go? Through I'm happy my top to jump five? in and add to this because I've <laughs> I've already while you were speaking put together my top five. Okay, it's it's probably flawed. Okay, and I'll go out of order because I think Endgame is my number one. 
Okay. You're absolutely right that as far as working as a standalone film, you 100% need the like 21 other films that came before yeah. it to really feel the heft of the emotional moments. Even some of the humor is is very character specific, For sure. you know, based on history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the absolute stunning achievement <laughs> that a movie like this can exist based on 21 movies by different directors with different writers that all interconnect and for it all for it to even make fucking sense is incredible yeah on top of that it has some of the most resonant emotional moments for me at least Mm -hmm. in the series probably because you you have some key losses right and and um but it's the culmination of specifically iron man captain america and thor have had three films each right before this and so if those are your big three all of them get somewhat of a of a big culminating moment thor is going to have some more to do i think in the in the cinematic universe yeah. moving forward but mm-hmm. the emotional moments are huge it is the most comic booky shit i could ever think of especially the like last 45 minutes of the movie right um and it just it just soars i i just i i cry like a baby every time <laughs> i see the parts that make me cry mm-hmm. and i i watched uh, and when I talk about my moments, mm-hmm. I mean, I watched one of them this morning and like I was laying in bed watching it on an iPad and yeah. my heart is pounding. Like I was ex- <laughs> so excited when yeah. X happens. Right. And so um, for it to juggle all of these characters, these interweaving storylines, it, it is an unprecedented cinematic achievement that we have never seen in the history of this medium. Mm-hmm. And I think... A lot of people like to shit on it because it's popcorn movies and it's it's not cinema, Martin Scorsese, right. whatever. It is nothing short of mind-blowing that it exists yeah. and that it makes sense. And so Endgame, I think, I like I, you know, like I said, this is my entire adulthood, yeah. which means I'm a child, and that's fine. <laughs> I am the prime candidate. You know, this movie was made for me, and it just, it I get caught up every time. It's just so great. And so, love that. That's my number one. Uh, my number four is Spider Man Homecoming. Um, I've always loved, yeah, just love the character of Spider Man, and I think it just makes so much sense in this movie. Love the side characters. There's some really cool reveals throughout. I just, I'm a big fan of high school movies too, and the way that um, you know it is in that setting, I think is is really fun and. We just get some more of Peter Parker and Tony Stark, which is um, I always like that that pairing. So yeah, one thing that I think is so great is that this is the first Spider-Man that actually feels like he's in high school, right? right Tom right. Holland's a young actor for sure, as opposed to Tobey Maguire and, uh, and uh, what's the Andrew Garfield? Andrew Garfield. God, I hated those movies. <laughs> Spider-Man yeah, no, can't be cool. I'm sorry, Peter Parker can't be cool. Yeah, don't make him a skater kid. Yeah, yeah. He's a nerd. That's what makes the wisecracking, fun guy under the mask so exciting. Because he's never mind. I don't need. We we're not talking about those movies. <laughs> no, I agree with you though. It, yeah. It's the first time it feels uh, it feels real, and so I think that's another reason why why I loved it so much. But then you add the the high school setting and some of the the funny parts and his his. Uh, his best friend and all that kind of stuff. It, I always love love the moment where he goes to try to swing and he's like in the middle of a golf course yeah, and yeah. there's like nothing to grab. Yeah. That would be I, and, I'd call that an honorable mention for me. I love I really love that movie, but it's not in my top five. And do you um, like the vulture in 
in that? Yeah, honestly, uh, probably one of my honorable mention scenes from my favorite scenes is that is that moment in the car between yeah the vulture played by Michael Keaton mm-hmm. and uh, Tom Holland when he kind of reveals that he's the bad guy right right, right, and, right. and it's the mo- it's just like so quiet and mm-hmm. intimid it's just like and the lights on his on his face it's it's so <laughs> like it it is. Aside from some of the most exciting stuff in these movies are the CGI battles, which and some of those are my favorite moments, and mm-hmm. you'll hear about my list. Um, but this was just good acting and good filmmaking, right? Yeah. And so, not that there aren't other moments of quality filmmaking throughout mm-hmm. the series, but this is one of the highlights of, of just r- a really tense, scary, exciting moment just brought on by camera and two actors and, and yeah. some lighting, you know, like For sure. yeah, classic yeah. cinema stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's, I feel the same way about that. I, I do. I love that scene. Moving on. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in with you on, on given my, my, so I'm going to go back to my number five. Okay. Or should I go up? <laughs> two. You can go up and I'll, I'll go, go, <laughs> you go down. All right. So my number two. Yeah. Captain America Civil War. Nice. I, this is a movie that when it was on Netflix, I would kind of like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse would just put on constantly. Yeah. And it's, again, just the comic booky-ness of it. Yeah. I'm all about <laughs> the seeing, it's A, the first time you get Tom Holland's Spider-Man, mm-hmm. the introduction of that character. You get Black Panther for the first time. Um, so there's a lot of key characters being introduced in fun ways, right? You, know, you mm-hmm. don't just get teased Black Panther. He's in two very – one's a huge chase scene and one's a giant fight scene. Yeah. Um, and then you see Spider-Man in action for the first time too. Those are both exciting. But the way they set up this conflict between Captain America and Iron Man is grounded in something that feels very real. It's family, it's friendship, it's it's actual it's not just about pixels and and earth ending. Maybe that's part of like there is there is a villain that they're trying to beat in this, mm-hmm. but there is no the earth is going to end if we don't do this. They think there is, but there's not really any kind of threat there. It's really, I'm mad at my friend and I'm going to beat him up. Like, like yeah. it's, it's a much more personal story. Um, and then the excitement of the big airport fight scene, yeah. to me, I just I could watch that over and over again, and I have. <laughs> and I'll talk about it more in, in my favorite scenes. But cool. uh, I, I absolutely love that film. So that's my number two. So my number three is... Thor Ragnarok. That's my number three. <laughs> yes. We crossed over, man. We yeah, did it. This we did is perfect. It. We're, me- we're literally meeting in the middle. Another one that I just, I love because it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, but I feel like, yeah, the stakes are still there. I love, I love the characters in this film so much. I think we both talked about how uh, Korg, there it is. His humor in this is so, like I laugh at every, every part that he's in. And every like movement he, he so makes great. compared to uh, his voice, and I think Taika Waititi does a great job um, on his voice acting here. It's just it's really funny, quite different from the others, and I think that's a, a huge part. And I think that I think Thor in this is is good as well. I I think when they discovered that Chris Hemsworth has this 
incredible comedic talent yeah that was untapped largely untapped in previous mm-hmm. movies and then you'd pair him with a director like taika waititi yeah it just it was like this perfect concoction to make this great movie yeah and that it really this movie is a great example of one of the best aspects about how kevin feige the executive producer over at marvel films uh is pushing the direction of of this franchise at first they came out you know john favreau makes iron man Mm -hmm. quickly after that comes captain america the first avenger they establish a it's 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 the hero's journey right but they Mm -hmm. they establish somewhat of a formula for their for their movies Mm -hmm. right and i think three four five films in people probably kind of like yourself maybe feel a little bit of the fatigue of that Mm -hmm. and the way that Kevin Feige, as the guy in charge, adjusted was they started, instead of just trying to plug their IP, their characters, into this formula, Yeah, they started going to good film directors that had perspectives and things to say and said, here's a character, what's the story you want to tell? Yeah. And Black Panther's a great example with Ryan Coogler. Thor Ragnarok with Taika Waititi is so great because they had taken... Thor was good in the Avengers movies, and the first Thor movie is okay, but, like, the second one, The Dark World, is widely looked at as, like, the worst one of the bunch. And so they took this character that was kind of trending downward and made it one of the best of the 23-film, you know, Mm -hmm. saga. And um, so, yeah, it's just a great example of taking a particular director who has a particular voice and has a story he wants to tell and pairing him with with talent and and you know kind of tapping into a new side of this character right yeah the, that's the, that the was Thor my character. main thing was that yeah you tap into uh the character way more than cuz he had just been this kind of serious hard, more hard to connect with character i feel like um and yeah he was almost getting a little boring or predictable and uh yeah, definitely, sh- you know, breathe new life into a character that uh, that was trending downward, as you said. For but, sure. So that was a, a big reason. Right? And I think the Hulk, that's it, one of the best versions of the Hulk. <laughs> right. I love dumb, adolescent, angry, yeah. whiny, bitchy Hulk yeah. that, that is like weighted on hand and foot. I think that's just such a yeah. funny thing to do And I think Jeff thing to do Goldblum's character is so oh, funny in this, too. God, he's so great. Yeah, so all around, I, I really enjoyed this one. And I love Tessa Thompson. Oh, yeah. She's so great. Agreed. So my number four is 2008's Iron Man. Which is my number two. Nice. <laughs> Look at us. I wonder, I'm really hoping that... The number five is the same. Is <laughs> your number one. And honestly, I think it, there's it might a chance... Be. <laughs> so i'll start yeah like i said this movie came out when i was 18 years old so this began my like adulthood and and this was before i was considered myself a cinephile and like really dove into movies the way that we are now and so movies like this were like everything all this was cinema to me you know like despite what martin scorsese (laughs) says or whatever but like the way the world fell in love with robert downey jr's tony stark Made and the way John Favreau, who is I think sorely underrated by the general public as a great filmmaker, just cr- created an exciting new type of superhero movie. Yeah, that that launched this incredible series franchise. What you know, what have you, was was just great. And uh, the way that they took a risk on an actor that 
mm-hmm. was seen as risky. Right. Paid off for everyone, you know, tenfold. Right. And uh, I, I just love this movie. Yeah, I, I agree. It's hard to think. Like, I don't know if the rest would have worked out if, if this movie flopped. Um, and it didn't set up such a strong beginning. And I felt like this one did feel pretty grounded. Um, like some of those war scenes and stuff felt like it all. And then, yeah. And then along with, with Tony Stark's character, um, who seemed like, it seemed like the perfect fit for Robert Downey Jr. And Mm. some really great moments that we could, that I, yeah, that I'll talk about as well. But yeah, super strong start. And I didn't honestly didn't have another favorite for a while. So it was like, um, and I went back and watched Iron Man again because I hadn't seen it in so long and it still held up as definitely one of the strongest and that's why it's my number two. It's a great movie. Love it. Well, so how are we going to reveal this one in five here to see if we're... <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna do my five because I'd rather end, if it's different, I'd rather right. end on your number one okay. than Fair end on my number five. So my number five is a little film <laughs> called The Guardians of the Galaxy. No. Which happens to be my number one. Really? Yeah. Yes! <laughs> we did it! We did it. I promise this wasn't planned, guys. Cool. Well, then I'll start and I'll let you, I'll let you well, let's bring go. it in for a landing. <laughs> yes. The fact that nobody had heard of these crazy characters. Yep. That this was these. I mean, even Iron Man was still not a not a popular superhero mm-hmm. w- when that came out. But people like he was a known quantity. Yeah. So, this movie shouldn't work. Yeah. You know, b- based <laughs> on on most logic. But I think this was maybe the first of the the series of films where Kevin Feige, the guy in charge, picked the perfect person. Mm-hmm to tell his story about the characters that he was most passionate about in mm-hmm. James Gunn. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, everything from Awesome Mix Volume 1 being this, you know, the soundtrack to this movie, and it's right. all these you know, f- awesome songs from the 70s and, and, eight, and you know, early 80s, and, and uh, you know, Chris Pratt stepping out of Parks and Rec world yep. and, and becoming a superhero and the way that these scoundrels, this this raccoon mm-hmm. who later becomes like one of the most my most beloved characters right. out of you know, there's all these human faces <laughs> and yet the 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 tiny raccoon who loves machine guns and stealing like uh, prosthetics. Prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The way that, that they made me care about these characters that i had zero history with yep and the way that those characters came together and became a family by the end of this movie is just so wonderful yeah i think i mean it's piggybacking off of what you said was just that uh this was my favorite ensemble of characters and again it them being all characters i was unfamiliar with was was really cool i mean yeah we haven't talked about groot yet but i think (laughs) groot is a, a great addition here Rocket's kind of uh, character development, I think, is is awesome, and his like, I mean, you know, like this kind of sarcastic badass type of character, and then so it makes the the emotional bits hit harder, I think, with his character, and then just yeah, some of the goofiness of the movie, and it, it subverts your expectations going in from the opening scene, which I think is great. Kind of start, you know, starting off all dark and mysterious, and then breaking out into this uh, goofy characters you know dancing dancing yeah and uh yeah like you said the way that it incorporates music um being just a lover of music i guess it was just all of that just checked all my boxes and i really liked it it seemed so different from anything else and it was the one i was probably the most uh emotionally 
involved from a, like the single um, release. Like besides Endgame, I loved it. I I still love all of these these characters, and and Baby Groot was fun in the second one. <laughs> right, right, and, and even just that small little post credits Baby Groot dancing thing right. became like an internet sensation. Yeah, and it's still something that like it's like a highlight of this this <laughs> whole thing, which Absolutely. is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and even the surprising things like Dave Bautista's yes. comedic talent. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Oh my were... <laughs> god, he's hilarious. Yeah, he's so great. Um, but the way it, it balanced all of that, all of that stuff, made it my uh, my favorite one. And I did see this in in theaters too, which is, um, I mean, I guess along with uh, Iron Man, those two, um, and some more, but not the ones that were in the top five there. But yeah, we can head on into maybe a little bit more spoilery territory with our moments but i'm sure everyone that's been listening has seen all of these yeah for me winter soldiers up there i think black panthers one that just did a lot for the culture of films and celebrating black specifically african Mm -hmm. heritage rather than than like the african-american experience it was and and just like like i said handing the reins of this intellectual property to a filmmaker that's got a very specific point of view uh, you know despite there are there are a lot of issues i have with that movie in terms of the some of the cgi in it mm-hmm. and and i think the the way that they could have maybe made the final battle the ending a little more personable a little mm-hmm. less pixely and whatever yeah there's it's not a perfect movie but i think in terms of culturally i think it's a very important film and, yeah I'd, and so that's that's yeah, yeah it's one that's tough cuz i don't necessarily love the or fully connect with the character of Black Panther. Right. Because I don't think it does a great job at, at that part. I think the world it builds is great with Wakanda, and I think that the villain is great right. as well. But Black Panther is the least interesting character in that movie, for yeah. sure. His sister's great. Okoye, the, the general of the, the army, is great. Even Umbaku, the like other tribe leader, is, I think, more compelling. Yeah. Even <laughs> the white guy, uh, played by... Um, Who's Bilbo Baggins? Uh, oh yeah, Martin uh, Freeman. Short, not Martin. I almost <laughs> did that too. Martin Freeman. Yeah, that 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 is that's another criticism I have is that is that yeah, that the, T'Challa is is not that interesting of a of a character at least yeah. in that one. I hope I hope maybe and and I would have loved to explore the world of Wakanda more. You get a lot of cool tech. You mm-hmm. get a lot of them at like the palace, but I would love to get in the streets of yeah for sure you know and do some stuff in there but and maybe i hope we get that yeah yeah but culturally i think its impact on specifically black culture especially in america and probably across the world i don't really know it it just you can't deny the impact you know the wakanda forever right right you know it's it's it, it deserves recognition at least for that if nothing absolutely um i think infinity war was really great at for setting up this this huge ending um the you know the the we'll get if if we want to do a spoiler warning but yeah the, the snap mm-hmm. was this huge cultural touchstone for everybody right like it yeah. was all over the internet um and yeah and i thought that movie was really exciting and and it in order for a movie like endgame to really ha- pay off yeah you gotta set it up and i think the i think part one set it up really well yeah i do think it set it up well but Again, on the standalone film factor, for me, I, I just feel less connected when there's so much going on, so much jumping around and like not really digging into many characters, which I know we've you know already done that in previous films. But in, in terms of my like 
um, personal connection with it, it's harder. And and of course, the I do think that the you know emotional ending of that um, really stuck. But yeah, but um, yeah. So now maybe into some some favorite moments. Yes. Cool. I've got my top five ranked, and then I've got like five more honorable mentions. <laughs> but I can go quickly. I don't want to yeah. take up too much time. So should I just start at my number five? Yeah. Let's... Uh, my number five top MCU favorite moment is the superhero party scene in Avengers Age of Ultron, the second Avengers movie. <laughs> Do you remember this? Did you see that uh, one? Yeah, but it, vaguely, I don't... So it's it's like 15 or 20 minutes into the movie, right? They yeah. Like, there's... At the oh, be- no, I do remember this. Yeah, yeah at the yeah. beginning, there's like a standoff with with somebody at the beginning of the movie, and then they're back at Avengers Tower, and like, it's just a hangout, right? Yeah. And you get a bunch of different small scenes within this larger sequence. Like, you, you learn that Black Widow and the Hulk are like into each other. Mm-hmm. You get a great scene where Rhodey as, you know, War Machine is like telling a War Machine story, and two of the like first tier Avengers are like not that impressed with right, him right, and right. he gets all annoyed and then goes tell it to like some you know random civilians and they love his story and he's like <laughs> excited about it it's one of the only times you really get to see these heroes who are saving the world on a, on a movie to movie basis right chill you know and, and like hang out and they're like kind of some of them are I don't Thor is definitely drinking like some of them are drinking some yeah. of them you know but um, and then they get into this whole contest with Thor's hammer, right? He challenges them all to like try to lift it. Yeah. And then there's the funny <laughs> sequence of, okay, they're playing around and then all of a sudden they're using their powers to try to lift it. And then you get this moment that tees up a moment later mm-hmm. in the series where Cap nudges it just a little and you see Thor's face and he's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and it seems just like a funny thing yeah, until it, has of such intense significance (laughs) later and it's just this it was a great seed planted and it was just a fun scene yeah overall number five number five for me um okay so my number four top marvel cinematic universe moment is the airport fight in captain america civil war um it's part of why i love this movie so much it's the first time we see spider-man my favorite superhero next to batman in action uh, it's the second time we see Black Panther in that movie. It's just a thrill seeing these heroes face off against each other, right? I mean, and the fact that it's grounded in this personal relationship between Captain America and Iron Man. Yep. Just love it. There's this great Captain America and Spider-Man Brooklyn versus Queens moment that's really fun. Just There's just so much playful banter between all... Like, I can see how for some people it may take some of the actual gravity out of the situation the way that Black Widow and Hawkeye are like... Yes. Joking around with each other <laughs> while they're punching each other in the yeah. face. I get it. I don't know why I was all about it. And then the fact that it ends in like a real... It takes a dark turn at the end when Rhodey goes down and essentially becomes permanently paralyzed, mm-hmm. although he has enough technology to where I don't I don't know how much it affects him in his yeah. day-to-day life in the future. But at least f- for the purposes of this story and this standalone moment, it really felt like a, a deep, irreparable harm being done based on two guys having this argument and friends are taking sides. And so it's fun and exciting, and I loved it, and all of my favorite characters are jumping in, and then it's really sad. And that's everything that I love. <laughs> yes, I love it. I, 
in that particular in Civil War, I really love the uh, the the Peter Parker Tony Stark um, sitting on the bed moment. Ah, that's a great great scene. Number three for me is from Captain America: The First Avenger. There's a sequence of moments that I'm just going to lump into one, but it's it's before he actually gets super soldier serumed, and uh, he's this tiny little CGI skinny boy of a man. And uh, Dr. Erskine, 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 the doctor that Stanley Tucci plays yeah. that gives him the, created the super, so, super soldier serum. There's a sequence of events where he asks Steve if he wants to kill Nazis. Do you want to kill Nazis? Is this a test? Yes. I don't want to kill anyone. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. And then, in a training sequence at the army base, uh, a dummy grenade gets thrown, and the only one to jump on it is tiny little Steve Rogers, and it's very moving to me. Mm -hmm. And then there's the night before he gets the procedure done, the doctor visits him in his barracks, and they they have somewhat just a, of a little discussion about morality, and he just basically asks Steve Rogers to not change who he is. The serum amplifies everything that is inside, so good becomes great. Bet becomes worse. This is why you were chosen. Because a strong man who has known power all his life may lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. Thanks, I think. Whatever happens tomorrow, you must promise me one thing. That you will stay who you are. Not a perfect soldier, but a good man. And now that we're 23 films later, uh, the gift of hindsight in that he really did fulfill his promise and he, he stayed true to being a moral, upstanding person all the way throughout in honor of, of this man that gave him this this power mm-hmm. is uh, retroactively... It, I mean, it's a nice scene at the beginning, but now looking back, it, it carries much more weight for me. Absolutely. So, so I love that. All of those moments combined. Number two is the excitement of Iron Man's first mission. Yeah. So he's gotten out of the, like, Arabian weapons camp, mm-hmm. you know, and um, he's built the suit. That The whole... The whole first half of that movie is so exciting because there's all these great sequences even just building the first suits and the test you know the yeah tests, those are uh, great. so much fun but um this is the first real marvel superhero action we get and it was it's so badass exciting the score that they choose is like hard rock you know uh and you know, like guitars but also some strings and stuff mm-hmm. but um Specifically, the moment that always sticks in my mind is when the tank blows him out of the sky. Mm-hmm. He gets up, and the and the the helmet is all dirty now. The tank shoots again. He dodges it, and he just shoots this little rocket out of his arm, 
and turns and walks away and does the hero, you know, the the thing that we parody in movies now, like the badass walking away from the explosion. Right. But because of all of the the elements of this combined, it, it's just something I don't think I'll ever forget in terms of just how cool I thought that was yeah. the first time I saw it. That's great. Yeah, my uh, one I have on my list from, from Iron Man is just the, the uh, reveal of the I Am Iron Man. Yeah. Um, at the end, I think it's a fantastic moment, like right into credits and um it gets you excited for you know what's coming up next for sure um so that's great great and, and uh, yeah and just a surprise moment as well so for sure my so now now we're at my number one <laughs> and so this is a little bit of a cheat because mm-hmm. it's one really long scene that has got so many moments in it that i just couldn't pick one so i'm lumping it all together all of endgame Basically the last 45 (laughs) minutes of Endgame. Specifically, the final fight with Thanos was just the most thrilling, exciting, and at the end, heartbreaking and and tear-jerking moments of of the whole series for me. And I watched it this morning, cried like a baby. Starting with, uh, the the fight starts with your big three, your Captain America, Thor, and and Iron Man Mm -hmm. fighting the end all be all of of supervillains right for the for what everyone knows is the final time mm-hmm. and so you get your big three guys thor's fat he's got the dreads and, but when he does the hammer thing like the dread the the beard uh like weaves itself into a cool way he looks all badass now yeah but the fight starts at, you know true to superhero movie fashion Bad guy wins a little bit, and then the good guy wins a little bit. You know, like there, it's it's push and pull. But the moment where Cap grabs that hammer out of thin air, mm-hmm. and Thor yells, "I knew it!" I saw this movie three times in the theaters. The first time was on midnight. You know, the first night. But all three times, even like a couple weeks later, audible gasps, screaming in the theater. I'd never, I've never seen a, a movie theater so electric <laughs> when people were like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Yeah. That moment, uh, that's another one that like, I'll never forget the moment I saw that and the crowd around me, how we were all 100% on board and it was the coolest thing we'd ever seen and the most comic booky shit I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> Love which it. which goes into Thanos then proceeds to beat the shit out of him anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then the big moment that you know is coming, but it I cry like a baby every time where uh the uh Captain America's radio in his ear, Sam the Falcon starts staticking in and you realize, you know, all these wormholes start opening from from Doctor Strange and you get the line, "Oh, I'm going to cry." <laughs> When Sam says on your left, and every, you know everyone comes back, and it and it's yes, we all saw it coming. We all knew the second the snap happened, even though it was emotional and and crazy. We knew there's going to be a Black Panther too. We knew there's going to be another Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Like we knew there was no way these characters were dead for good. Mm-hmm. But when they come back, it's just the most triumphant thing. And and I can't think of a a. a cinephile critique way to say it other than i just loved it yeah it was just so satisfying it, it was it was satisfying in the way that uh, that uh the the square peg fits in the square hole <laughs> like it's just you know it's coming and it just works like it's supposed to mm-hmm. the moment when peter 
Parker and Tony reunite and Peter's just like talking and talking. And do you remember when we were in space and then this happened, then this happened, then Tony Stark hugs him. So huge. When Captain Marvel shows up and they have this huge girl power moment when all of the women of the, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe charge forward together, that moment makes me cry every time. It's making me cry right now. (laughs) All leading up to the big final moment of I am Iron Man. And uh, the ultimate sacrifice by the hero that defined my adulthood in terms of movies. Not, you know, I have other movies outside of superhero movies that I love. But um, yeah, I'll, I, you know, these are moments cinematically that I will never forget. And all of those, that's a very long scene that I'm cheating by making it all one moment in my yeah. list. But um, I'll let you do it. it thanks, man. <laughs> so we can go straight into happy tears and... Uh... Sure. I mean, that that, that whole sequence I just described is constant happy tears beginning to end for me. So (laughs) I I watched it this morning, cried like a baby, and I cry every time. Cool. So perfect segue into happy tears. So I'll just start with the uh, Iron Man's death because it was the same same for me. And yeah, there's a lot of like death or near-death scenes that I have on here, but I think the most powerful for me are the, uh, it's like the, the We Are Groot moment we are Groot is so great <laughs> um and yeah and just Groot's sacrifice is um his character and then you know the other characters realizing what he's doing and then afterwards what what he's done i think um are are really powerful moments including like rockets like tear moments yeah um where i was tearing up with him for mm-hmm. sure and then in the second one uh yondu's death yeah, the like kind of funeral procession for yeah. him too is is very moving. Yeah, both of those moments, and yeah, just the relationship um, he and Quill had in that whole like you know how other people's role in your life, even though they're not family, can um, feel like that or be you know be that be that family to be the you. family you choose kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a real, uh, definitely real emotional attachment to that. Despite the the vanishing moment was obviously kind of an emotional moment all around but i think the one that hit seeing spider-man go was the one that hit hardest but well and it's all the performance of that i mean and right the filmmakers afforded tom holland and tony a little more you know like nobody else i i'm assuming nobody right. else because they improvised a lot of that and so i'm assuming other people just didn't necessarily get that opportunity to to add more depth to, to yeah. that, but but that scene, yeah, that 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 one makes me cry every time. Um, that's a huge huge one for me. Back to the first Iron Man, right as Tony is escaping captivity from the be- from the beginning, and and we realize that Yinsen's not going to make it. The guy that that somewhat teaches him how to be a good person, yeah. and he just says very kind of softly, "Thank you for saving me." Um, especially when you think about his life after that you know yinsen saved him and and like he saved his soul not just Mm -hmm. his life you know and uh uh allowed this this hero to emerge you know someone that we that we now love and so so that's making me cry right now um we knew this was coming next yeah i know (laughs) um i have some other honorable mentions that aren't happy tears moments some of them them are just funny one that we've talked about is korg is just such a perfect character Taika Waititi's hilarious. Yeah. I just love every moment he's on screen Same. in all movies. I I loved when Doctor Strange called Tony Stark a douchebag in <laughs> Infinity War. Yeah. 
Um, I also love the line, he came here to steal a necklace from a wizard, also in that same scene. Um, when the Guardians of the Galaxy break out of the prison, mm-hmm. was a, just an awesome, like, it's the first time they team up, it's hilarious, you know, yeah. they're stealing uh, appendages from <laughs> from people and uh, kicking ass, and, and it's exciting. Um, and then... One of my favorite comedic scenes is when Thor meets the Guardians in Infinity War and they're gushing over how godly he is and how borderline fat Quill is now. And um, my favorite line in all of the cinematic universe is uh, they're talking about where to go next in that scene. Mm -hmm. And Thor says, we need to go to Nivedalir. And Drax says, that's a made up word. And Thor goes, all words are made up. <laughs> and that, for whatever reason, is my favorite line in all of the MCU. <laughs> yeah, I love these movies, and I could just talk forever, so you're going to have to stop me at some point. Well, do you have a favorite, I guess to end on, do you have a favorite villain out of out of all of these? That's a great question, because I think the villains are so important, and I'm going through my Rolodex. I should have thought about this more. I really love the Vulture. The ones that just... Pose. The thing about villains, and I maybe have stated this before, is they need to be believable and they need to have a specific, I want this. Mm-hmm. Um, just a world domination is not necessarily... Interesting. Interesting, <laughs> right. Yeah. I do think Thanos, they've they built... That's basically kind of what he wants, but they build it in a, in a more interesting way mm-hmm. the, the dialogue around it is more interesting i do like thanos i think the vulture is great i actually really liked um the red skull in, in yeah you know in the first captain america so i'll give you those three examples i don't know if i have if i can pick a favorite right now and and um killmonger those are yeah so i think killmonger uh who else uh the vulture are uh, two of my favorites and i really i liked <laughs> Just as a funny one, I love Jeff Goldblum <laughs> and Thor Ragnar. I think he's a, um, just so wild and eccentric, and it's he's a fun, fun addition to that movie for sure. Well, I think we covered all the bases. I think so. The only thing that I thought was maybe we talk a little bit about what the future holds yeah, for yeah. for these people. You know, obviously we've got the Black Widow's the next standalone movie, mm-hmm. and it's a it's like a period piece, and I think even Tony Stark might be making a uh, appearance. So that's interesting, since we just lost. Yeah. <laughs> we just lost him. <laughs> um, it's weird because I I find it hard for me to imagine being as invested as I am in in Endgame and, right. and everything previous to this. Right. I'm gonna. I'll I'll go to the movies and I'll check it out, and if they tell a great story, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's and that's the thing is is I try not to just be a a fanboy, but you fail every time. <laughs> well, well, with without cause, right? Like, I know. <laughs> um, like I I still do want my movies, the movies that are made in general, to be quality films. You right. Know? So if if movies if they suck, I'm not gonna I'm gonna try not to go see them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to. Um, more guardians uh with with thor i think uh, that'll be fun that will be fun um and then yeah hopefully getting more sense of wakanda and um that character for sure yeah T'Challa. and i mean they they have talked about expanding further into the reaches of space mm-hmm. 
with with future films, especially using Guardians and uh, Captain Marvel yeah. as vehicles for that. I still do get excited about the lead up, like the lead up to Thanos was was I liked it. I, mm-hmm. I liked having it without with lack of a better term, an end game in mind. Mm-hmm. And so I am excited about the prospects of of a, another huge villain like a maybe a Doctor Doom or something now that they've got the Fantastic Four yeah. or the X-Men, you know, seeing how they might start introducing some of these other characters that we all really know pretty well because they have had film franchises with other companies. Right. Um and so, yeah, I just if they continue to invest in talented filmmakers, and cast well and, and do all that, then then I'm all in. You know, I'll 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 keep buying tickets. Cool. Even if it does just send all my money to the Disney Corporation. <laughs> so Well. Yeah. So that's a long winded episode. My apologies. But it was worth it for me. Yeah, so this is most likely the last episode to be released this year from us we just wanted to say a big thank you to all of our listeners who's been uh, not only listening along the way but participating in some of the the questions we have and things like that we really appreciate it and always appreciate the the ratings and and love and feedback whether it be positive or you know things that can help us out make the podcast better so we love you guys at the end of the day we are couple of sappy sad boys that just love this stuff and we're glad that you guys do too we do love you love you love you mean it and we welcome on uh 2020 and we're excited to get more into some looking back on on the past decade and stuff for for next year but for sure with that i will say thank you for listening to happy tears Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can follow us on Instagram at Happy Tears Podcast. You can like our Happy Tears Podcast Facebook page. Uh, you can rate us on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts. And you can check out show notes at happytearspod.com. Original theme music by Homage. You can check out his music at youtube.com slash homagebeats. You can also follow our playlist, Happy Tears Mixtape, on Spotify, where we put some of the music that we discuss on the podcast or some of the material that we cover will end up on that playlist, and it's pretty fun listening to that. For sure. I like listening to it a lot, actually. That's all for 2019. Happy New Year!